Captain Craig Section 3 by Edwin Arlington Robinson read for librivox.org by Subhash Chandra www.subhashsings.com I found the old man sitting in his bed propped up and uncomplaining on a chair beside him was a dreary bowl of broth a magazine some glasses and a pipe I do not light it nowadays he said but keep it for an antique influence that it exerts an aura that it sheds like hautboys or provence you understand the charred memorial defeats us yet but think you not for always we are young and we are friends of time time that made smoke will drive away the smoke and we shall know the work that we are doing we shall build with embers of all shrines one pyramid and we shall have the most resplendent flame from earth to heaven as the old words go and we shall need no smoke why don't you laugh i gazed into those calm half-lighted eyes and smiled at them with grim obedience he told me that i did it very well but added that i should undoubtedly do better in the future there is nothing he said so beneficial in a sick room as a well-bred spontaneity of manner your sympathetic scowl obtrudes itself and is indeed surprising after death were you to take it with you to your coffin an unimaginative man might think that you had lost your life in worrying to find out what it was that worried you the ways of unimaginative men are singularly fierce why do you stand sit here and watch me while i take this soup the doctor likes it therefore it is good the man who wrote the decalogue pursued the captain having swallowed four or five heroic spoonfuls of his lukewarm broth forget the doctors and i think sometimes the man of galilee or if you choose the men who made the sayings of the man like buddha and the others who have seen was to men's lost the poet though it be the poet only of him we rever the poet we remember we have put the prose of him so far away from us the fear of him so crudely over us that i have wondered wondered cautiously but yet as one were cautious in a dream he set the bowl down on the chair again crossed his thin fingers looked me in the face and looking smiled a little go away he said at last and let me go to sleep i told you i should eat but i shall not tomorrow i shall eat and i shall read some clauses of a jocund instrument that i have been preparing here of late for you and for the rest assuredly attend the testament of captain craig good citizens good fathers and your sons good mothers and your daughters i should say so now go away and let me go to sleep i stood before him and held out my hand he took it pressed it and i felt again the sick soft closing on it he would not let go but lay there looking up to me with eyes that had a sheen of water on them and a faint wet spark within them so he clung tenaciously with fingers icy warm and eyes too full to keep the sheen unbroken i looked at him the fingers closed hard once and then fell down i should have left him then but when we found him the next afternoon my first thought was that he had made his eyes miraculously smaller they were sharp and hard and dry and the spark in them was dry for a glance it all but seemed as if the man had artfully forsworn the brimming gaze of yesterday and with a wizard strength enveiled in reduced and vitalized the straw shine of october 
and had that been truth we should have humored him not less albeit he had fooled us for he said that we had made him glad by coming to him and he was glad the manner of his words revealed the source of them and the gray smile which lingered like a twilight on his face told of its own slow fading that it held the promise of the sun cadaverous god knows it was and we knew it was honest so you have come to have the old man read to you from his last will and testament well it will not be long not very long so listen he brought out from underneath his pillow a new manuscript and said you are doing well to come and have me read my testament there are men in the world who say of me if they remember me that i am poor and i believe the ways of certain men who never find things out are stranger than the way lord bacon wrote leviticus and faust he fixed his eyes abstractedly on something far from us and with a look that i remembered well gazed hard the while we waited but at length he found himself and soon began to chant with a fitful shift at thin sonorousness the jocund instrument and had he been definitely passing to us all kimberly and half of balarath the lordly quaver of his poor old words could not have been the more magniloquent no promise of dead carbon or of gold however flushed in ambush to corrupt us i captain craig abhorred iconoclast sage errant favored of the cosmic joke and self-reputed humorist at large do now confess of my world worshiping time questioning sun fearing and heart yielding approve an unreservedly device to you and your assigns for even more god's universe and yours if i had won what first i sought i might have made you beam by giving less but now i make you laugh by giving more than what had made you beam and it is well no man has ever done the deed of humor that god promises but now and then we know tragedians reform and in denial too divine for sacrifice too firm for ecstasy record in jolly letters or in books what fragment of god's laughter they have caught what earnest of its rhythm and i believe that i in having somewhat recognized the formal measure of it have endured the discord of infirmity not less through fortune than by failure what man loses man gains and what man gains reports itself in losses we but vaguely deprecate so they be not for us and this is right except that when the devil in the sun misguides us we go darkly where the shine misleads us and we know not what we see we know not if we climb or if we fall and if we fly we know not where we fly and here do i insert an urging clause for climbers and upflyers of all sorts cliff climbers and high flyers python bellerophon and icarus did each go gloriously up and each in turn did famously come down as you have read in poems and elsewhere but other men have mounted where no fame has followed them and we have no sight no news of them and we have heard no crash the crash may count undoubtedly and earth be fairer for it yet none save creatures out of harmony have ever in their fealty to the flesh made crashing an ideal it is the flesh that ails us for the spirit knows no qualm no failure no downfalling so climb high and having set your steps regard not much the downward laughter clinging at your feet nor overmuch the warning only know as well as you know dawn from lantern light that far above you for you 
and within you. There burns and shines and lives, unwavering and always yours the truth. Take on yourself but your sincerity, and you take on good promise for all climbing. Fly for truth, and hell shall have no storm to crush your flight, no laughter to vex down your loyalty. I think you may be smiling at me now, and if I make you smile, so much the better, for I would have you know that I rejoice always to see the thing that I would see, the righteous thing, the wise thing. I rejoice always to think that any thought of mine or any word or any deed of mine may grant sufficient of what fortifies, good feeling and the courage of calm joy to make the joke worthwhile. Contrarywise, when I review some faces I have known, sad faces, hungry faces, and reflect on thoughts I might have moulded, human words I might have said, straightaway it saddens me to feel perforce that I had not been mute and actionless, I might have made them bright somehow, though only for the moment. Yes, howbeit I confess the vanities, it saddens me, and sadness of all things, miscounted wisdom, and the most of all, when warmed with old illusions and regrets, I mark the selfishest, and on like lines the shrewdest. For your sadness makes you climb with dragging footsteps, and it makes you groan. It hinders you when most you would be free, and there are many days it wearies you beyond the toil itself. And if the load it lays on you may not be shaken off till you have known what now you do not know. Meanwhile you climb, and he climbs best who sees. Above him truth burn faithfulest, and feels within him truth burn purest. Climb or fall. One road remains, and one firm guidance always. One way that shall be taken, climb or fall. But falling, 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 there's your song. The cradle song that sings you to the grave. What is it your bewildered poet says? The toiling ocean thunders of unrest. An aching desolation, the still sea. Pains but an outward calm that mocks itself to the final and irrefragable sleep. That owns no shifting fury and the shoals of ages are but records of regret. Where time the sun's arc phantom writes on sand the prelude of his ancient nothingness. It's easy to compound a dirge like that, and it is easy too to be deceived and alienated by the fleshless note of half-world yearning in it. But the truth to which we are all tending, charitons and architects alike, artificers in tinsel as in gold, evangelists of ruin and redemption all alike, the truth we seek and equally the truth we do not seek, but yet may not escape. We never found alone through flesh contempt or through flesh reverence. Look east and west, and we may read the story. Where the light shone first, the shadow now darkens. Where the shade clung first, the light fights westward. Though the shade still feeds, and there is yet the orient. But there is this to be remembered always. Whatever be the altitude you reach, you do not rise alone, nor do you fall but you drag others down to more or less than your preferred abasement. God forbid that ever I should preach and in my zeal forget that I was born and humorist. But now, for once, before I go away, I beg of you to be magnanimous a moment while I speak to please myself, the moment now for flowers and your patience.
though i have heard it variously sung that even in the fury and the clash of battles and the closer fights of men when silence gives the knowing world no sign one flower there is though crushed and cursed it be keeps rooted through all tumult and all scorn still do i find when i look sharply down there is yet another flower that grows well and has the most unconscionable roots of any weed on earth perennial it grows and has the name of selfishness no doubt you call it love in either case you propagate it with a diligence that hardly were outmeasured had its leaf the very juice in it of that famed herb which gave back breath to glaucus and i know that in the twilight after the day's work you take your little children in your arms or lead them by their credulous frail hands benignly out and through the garden gate and show them they are the things that you have raised not everything perchance but always one miraculously rooted flower pot which is your pride their pattern socrates could he be with you there at such a time would have some unsolicited shrewd words to say that you might hearken to but i say nothing for i am not socrates so much good friends for flowers and i thank you there was a poet once who would have rode away the world and had an end of stars where was he when i quoted him oh yes it is easy for a man to link loud words with woeful pomp and unschooled emphasis and add one thundered contribution more to the dirges of all hollowness i said but here again i find the question set before me after turning books on books and looking soulward through man after man if there indeed be more determining play service in remotely sounding down the world's one-sidedness if i judge right your pounding protestations echoing their burden of unfraught futility surge back to mute forgetfulness at last and have a kind of sunny sullen end like any cold north storm but there are few still seas that have no life to profit them and even in such currents of the mind as have no tide rush to them but are drowsed crude thoughts may dart in armor and upspring with a waking sound when all is dim with peace like sturgeons in the twilight out of lethe and though they be discordant hard grotesque and all unwelcome to the lethargy that you think means repose you know as well as if your names were shouted when they leap and when they leap you listen our friends friends there are these things we do not like to know they trouble us they make us hesitate they touch us and we try to put them off we banish one another and then say that we are left alone the midnight leaf that rattles where it hangs above the snow gaunt fluttering forlorn scarcely may seem so cold in all its palsied loneliness as we we frozen brothers who have yet profoundly and severely to find out that there is more of unpermitted love in most men's reticence that most men think once when i made it out fond-headedness to say that we should ever be apprised of our deserts and their emolument at all but in the specious way of words the wisdom of a warm thought woke within me and i could read the sun then did i turn my long defeated face full to the world and through the clouded warfare of it all discerned the light through dusk that hindered it i found the truth and for the first whole time knew then that we are climbing not as one who mounts along with his experience 
bound on him like an old man of the sea, not as a moral pedant who drags chains of his unearned ideals after him, and always to the lead-like thud they make, attunes a cold inhospitable chant of all things easy to the non-attached. But as a man, a scarred man among men, I knew it, and I felt the strings of thought between us to pull tight the while I strove, and if a curse came ringing now and then to my defended ears, how could I know? The light that burned above me and within me, and at the same time put on cap and bells for such as yet were groping. Killigrew made there as if to stiffy a small cough. I might have kicked him, but regret forbade the subtle admonition, and indeed when afterwards I reprimanded him, the fellow never knew quite what I meant. I may have been unjust. The captain read right on, without a chuckle or a pause, as if he had heard nothing. How forsooth shall any man by curses or by groans or by the laugh-jarred stillness of all hell be so drawn down to servitude again that on some backward level of lost loss and undivined relations he may know no longer love's imperative resource, firm once and his, well-treasured then, but now too fondly thrown away? And if there come but once on all his journey, singing down to find him, the gold-throated forward call, what way but one, what but the forward way, shall after the call guide him. When his ears have earned an inward skill to methodize the clash of all crossed voices and all noises, how shall he grope to be confused again as he has been by discord? When his eyes have read the book of wisdom in the sun and after dark, deciphered it on earth, how shall he turn them back to scan some huge blood-lettered protest or bewildered men that hunger while he feeds where they should starve and all absurdly perish? Killigrew looked hard for a subtile object on the wall and having found it sighed. The captain paused. If he grew tedious, most assuredly, did he crave pardon of us? He had feared beforehand that he might be wearisome but there was not much more of it, he said, no more than just enough, and we rejoiced that he should look so kindly on us then. Commend me to a dying man's grimace for absolute humor always. Killigrew maintains, but I know better. Work for them, you tell me? Work the folly out of them? Go back to them and teach them how to climb, while you teach caterpillars how to fly? You tell me that Alnaskar is a fool because he dreams? And what is this you ask? I make him wise? I teach him to be still, while you go polishing the pyramids I hold Alnasha's feet, and while you have the ghost of Memnon's image all day singing, I sit with aching arms and hardly catch a few spilled echoes of the song of songs, the song that I should have as utterly for mine as other men should once have had the sweetest a glad shepherd ever trilled in Sharon long ago. Is this the way for me to do good climbing any more than Fathion's? Do you think the golden tone of that far-singing call you all have heard means any more for you that you should be wise-heartedly, glad-heartedly yourselves? Do this. There is no more for you to do. And you have no dread left, no shame, no scorn. And while you have your wisdom and your gold, songs calling and the princess in your arms, remember, if you like, from time to time, down yonder where the clouded millions go. Your bloody-knuckled scullions are not slaves. Your children of Alnaskar are not fools, nor are they quite so foreign or far down as you may think to see them. What you take to be the cursedest mean thing that crawls on earth is nearer to you than you know. 
You may not ever crush him, but you lose. You may not ever shield him, but you gain, as he with all his crookedness gains with you. Your preaching and your teaching, your achieving, your lifting up and your discovering are more than often, more than you have dreamed. The world refracted evidence of what your dream denies. You cannot hide yourselves in any multitude or solitude or mask yourselves in any studied guise of hardness or of old humility. But soon by some discriminating man, some humorist at large like Socrates, you get yourselves found out. Now I should be found out without an effort. For example, when I go riding, trimmed and shaved again, consistent, adequate, respectable, some citizen for curiosity will ask a good neighbor, What is this? Is it the funeral of Captain Craig? Will be the neighbor's word. And who good man was Captain Craig? He was an humorist. And we are told that there is nothing more for any man alive to say of him. There is nothing very strange in that, says A. But the brass band? What has he done to be blown through like this by cornets and trombones? And here you have this incompatible dirge. What are the jokes in that? Then B should say, maintain his humor, nothing more or less. The story goes that on the day before he died, some say a week, but that's a trifle. He said with a subdued factiousness, play handle, not chopping. Assured not chopping. He was indeed an humorist. He made the paper fall down at arm's length and with a tension of half-quizzical benignity that made it hard for us. He looked up first at Morgan, then at me. Almost I thought as if his eyes would ask if we were satisfied and as he looked the tremor of an old heart's weariness was on his mouth. He gazed at each of us but spoke no further word that afternoon. He put away the paper, closed his eyes and went to sleep with his lips flickering. And after that, we left him. At midnight, Plunkett and I looked in. But he still slept. And everything was going as it should. The watchman yawned, rattled his newspaper and wondered what it was that ailed his lamp. He said it wheezed. He feared it might explode. Next day, we found the captain wide awake propped up and searching dimly with a spoon through another dreary dish of chicken broth. When he raised up to me at my approach so fervently and so unconsciously that one could only laugh. He looked again at each of us and as he looked he frowned and there was nothing in that frown of his that none of us had ever seen before. Kind friends, he said, be sure that I rejoice to know that you have come to visit me. Be sure I speak with undisguised words and earnest when I say that I rejoice. But what the devil, whispered Killigrew. I kicked him, for I thought I understood. The old man's eyes had glimmered warily at first, but now they glittered like to those of a glad fish. Beyond a doubt, said he, my dream this morning was more singular than any other I have ever known. Give me that I might live 10,000 years, and all those years do nothing but have dreams. I doubt me much if any of them could be so quaint and so fantastical, so pregnant as a dream of mine this morning. You may not think it any more than odd. You may not feel. You cannot wholly feel. How droll it was. I dreamed that I found Hamlet. Found him at work, drenched with an angry sweat. Predestined, he declared with emphasis, to root out a large weed on Lethe Waff. And after I had watched him for some time, I laughed at him and told him that no root would ever come the while he talked like that. The power was not in him, I explained, for such compound accomplishment. He glared at me, of course, next moment laughed at me, and finally laughed with me. 
I was right, and we had Aesil on the strength of it. They tell me that this water is not good, said Hamlet, and you should have seen him smile. Conceited? Pillion on Osa? Pah! But Anon comes in a crocodile. We stepped adroitly down up the back of him, and away we went to an undiscovered country, a fertile place, but in more ways than one so like the region we started from, that Hamlet straightway found another weed and there began to tug. I laughed again till he cried out on me and on my mirth, protesting all he knew. The fates, he said, have ordered it that I shall have these roots. But all at once a dreadful hunger seized him, and it was then we killed the crocodile, killed him and ate him, washed with easel down, the luckless reptile was to the last morsel, and there we were, with flag fence all around us, and there was Hamlet, at this task again, ridiculous. And while I watched him work, the drollest of all changes came to pass. The weed had snapped off just above the root, not warning him, and I was left alone. The bubbles rose, and I laughed heartily to think of him. I laughed when I woke up, and when my soup came in, I laughed again. I think I may have laughed a little. No, not when you came. Why do you look like that? You don't believe me? Crocodiles, why not? Who knows what he has eaten in his life? Who knows but I have eaten atropos, briar and oak for a soldier's crown, you say? Province, oh no. Had I been Socrates, Count Pretzel would have been the king of Spain. Now of all casual things we might have said, to make the matter smooth at such a time, there may have been a few what we had found sufficient. Recollection fails, however, to say that we said anything. We looked, had he been karmical, we might have stood like faithful hypocrites and laughed at him, but the captain was not karmical at all, for the captain had no frocks, he had the sun. So there we waited hungry for the word, tormented, unsophisticated, stretched, till, with a drawl to save us, Killigrew good-humouredly spoke out. The captain fixed his eyes on him with some severity. That was a funny dream beyond a doubt, said Killigrew. Too funny to be laughed at. Too humorous, we mean. Too humorous, the captain answered. I approve of that. Proceed. We were not glad for Killigrew. Well, he went on. It was only this. You see, my dream this morning was a droll one too. I dreamed that a sad man was in my room, sitting as I do know, beside the bed. I questioned him, but he made no reply. Said not a word, but sang. Said not a word, but sang, the captain echoed. Very good. Now tell me what it was the sad man sang. Now that, said Killigrew, constrainedly, and with a laugh that might have been left out, is why I know it must have been a dream. But there he was, and I lay in the bed like you, and I could see him just as well as you see my right hand, and for the songs he sang to me, there's where the dream part comes. You don't remember them? The captain said, with a weary little chuckle. Very well, I might have guessed it. Never mind your dream, but let me go to sleep. For a moment then, there was half a frown on Killigrew's good face, but he turned it to a smile. Not quite, said he. The songs that he sang first were sorrowful, and they were stranger than the man himself. And he was very strange, but I found out, through all the gloom of him and of his music, that a kind of, well, say, mystic cheerfulness, or give it almost any trumped-up name, pervaded him, for slowly as he sang, there came a change, and I began to know the method of it all. Song after song was ended, and when I had listened there for hours, I mean for dream hours, hearing him, and always glad that I was hearing him, 
there came another change a great one tears rolled out at last like bullets from his eyes and i could hear them fall down on the floor like shoes and they were always marking time for the song that he was singing i have lost the greater number of his verses now but there are some like these that i remember ten men from zanzibar black as iron hammers are riding on a cable car down to crowley's theater ten men the captain interrupted there ten men my yuthi prawn that is beautiful but never mind i wish to go to sleep tell seps that i wish to go to sleep oh ye of little faith your golden plumes are like to drag party he may have smiled in after days to think how kiligru had sacrificed himself to fight that silence but we were grateful to him nonetheless and if he smiled they may have been the reason but the good captain for a long time then said nothing he lay quiet fast asleep for all that we could see we waited there till each of us i fancy must have made the paper on the wall begin to squirm and then got up to leave my friends went out and i was going when the old man cried you leave me now now it has come to this what have i done to make you go come back come back there was a quaver in his cry that we shall not forget reproachful kind indignant piteous it seemed as one marooned on treacherous tide feeding sand were darkly calling over the still straits between him and irrevocable shores where now there was no lamp to fade for him no call to give him answer we were there before him but his eyes were not much turned on us nor was it very much to us that he began to speak the broken words the scattered words that he had left in him so it has come to this and what is this death do you call it death and what is death why do you look like that at me again why do you shrink your brows and shut your lips if it be fear then i can do no more then hope for all of you that you may find your promise of the sun if it be grief you feel to think that this old face of mine may never look at you and laugh again then tell me why it is that you have gone so long with me and followed me so far and had me to believe you took my words for more than ever misers did their gold he listened but his eyes were far from us too far to make us turn to kiligru or search the futile shelves of our own thoughts for golden label insincerities to make place boss of the marrowy sense of a slow november storm that splashed against the shingles and the glass reminded us that we had brought umbrellas he continued oh can it be that i too credulous have made myself believe that you believe yourselves to be the men that you are not i prove and i prize well your friendliness but i would have that your last look at me but not like this for i would scan today strong thoughts on all your faces no regret no fine commiseration oh not that not that nor say of me when i am gone that i was cold and harsh for i was warm to strangeness and for you say not like that of me nor think of me that i reproached the friends of my tight battles and hard years but say that i did love them to the last and in my love reproved them for the grief they did not for they dared not throw away courage my boys courage is what you need courage that is not all flesh recklessness but earnest of the world and of the soul first of the soul for a man may be as brave as ajax in the fury of his arms and in the midmost warfare of his thoughts be frail as paris for the love therefore that bothered us when we stood back that day from delium that love that holds us now more than it held us at 
Ampipolis, forget you not that he who in his work would mount from these low roads of measured shame to tread the legless highway must fling first and fling forevermore beyond his reach the shackles of a slave who doubts the sun there is no servitude to fraudulent as of a sunshut mind for it is the mind that makes you craven or invincible deceased or puissant the mind will pay 10000 fold and be the richer then to grant new service but the world pays hard and accurately sickens till in years the dole has ached its end and there is left what all of you are noting on all days in these athenian streets where squandered men drag ruins of half warriors to the grave or to hippocrates his head fell back and he lay still with wearied eyes half closed we waited but a few faint words yet stayed kind friends he said friends i have known so long though i have jested with you in time past though i have stung your pride with epithets not all forbearing still when i am gone say socrates wrought always for the best and for the wisest end give me the cup the truth is yours god's universe is yours good bye good citizens give me the cup again we waited and this time we knew those lips of his that would not flicker down had yet some fettered message for us there we waited and we watched him all at once with a faint flash the clouded eyes grew clear and then we knew the man was coming back and we knew that he would speak in the old way we watched him and i listened the man smiled and looked about him not regretfully not anxiously and when at last he spoke before the long drowse came to give him peace one word was all he said trombones he said that evening at the chrysalis again we smoked and looked at one another's eyes and we were glad the world had scattered ways for us to take we knew but for the time that one snug room where the big beech logs rode smooth defiance to the cold rough rain outside sufficed there were no scattered ways for us that we could see just then and we were glad we were glad to be on earth and we rejoiced no less for captain craig that he was gone we might for his dead benefit have run the gamut of all human weaknesses and uttered after platitudes enough wrecked on his own abstractions and all such to drive away gambrinus and the bead from bernard's ale and i supposed we might have praised accordingly the lord of hosts for making us to see that we were not like certain unapproved inferiors whom we had known and having known might name abominable float sam but the best and wisest occupation we have learned at work at home or at the chrysalis companioned or unfriended winged or chained was always to perpetuate the bead so plunket who had knowledge of all sorts yet hardly ever spoke began to plink o to palarama quaintly with his nails on morgan's fiddle and at once got seized as if he were some small thing by the neck then the consummate morgan having told explicitly what hardship might accrue to plunket if he did that any more made roaring chords and acrobatic runs to charge his fingers and the strings he said and then and with his kind eyes on kiligrew struck up the schoolgirls march in lohengrin so kiligrew might smile and stretch himself and have to light his pipe when that was done we knew that morgan by the looks of him was in the mood for almost anything from back to offenbach and of all times that he has ever played that one somehow that evening of the day the captain died stands out like one great verse of a good song 
one strain that sings itself beyond the rest for the magic and a glamour that it has the ways have scattered for us and all things have changed and we have wisdom i doubt not for more fit for the world's work than we had then but neither parted roads nor sent person may starve quite out the child that lives in us the child that is the man the mystery the phoenix of the world so now and then that evening of the day the captain died returns to us and there comes always with it the storm the warm restraint the fellowship the friendship and the firelight and the fiddle so too there comes a day that followed it a windy dreary day with a cold white shine that only gummed the tumbled frozen ruts we tramped upon the road was hard and long but we had what we knew to comfort us and we had the large humor of the thing to make it advantageous for men stopped and eyed us on that road from time to time and on that road the children followed us and all along that road the tilbury band blared indiscreetly the dead march in sol end of poem this recording is in the public domain